It's so good to see each and every one of you out this morning. Um, very thankful for many of you who've been kept away from us by sickness that have been able to join back here with us again. It's always encouraging to see those that have, that have been struggling in some way and how the Lord has, has blessed us and the Lord has overcome uh, in, in many ways. Uh, as one of, the, one of the younger children was talking about this morning, I, I, I prayed um, and I had something that was wrong and God answered it. And I can only say that, amen. Um, God is good, and He has taken great care of us, and it's just such an honor and such a blessing to be here, gathered together with each and every one of you to study from His Word, to sing these songs of praise to Him. If you want to open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to be reading from there in just a moment. One of the things that we noticed Sunday afternoon, we started this look at the parables. And in them, we see over and over again that the theme of the parables seems to be about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. See that phrase used often, especially here in Matthew 13, over and over and over again. You're going to find language such as the kingdom of heaven is like something or other. Jesus will make a comparison to help us to understand something about the unknown from the known. And we've noticed that, that in His ministry, much of His ministry had to do with the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus begins that Sermon on the Mount. With blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. But in Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, Jesus speaks to His disciples. He says, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That reveals to us that there was something unknown about the kingdom of heaven at this time. Something that people wanted to know. We talked about that too on Sunday afternoon. That how righteous men longed to hear and longed to know these things. Men like Abraham and David and Isaiah and Daniel. Men that wanted to know about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Now it was being revealed and is still revealed to us today. But that should bring up some thoughts in our minds. When we begin to... to embark on a study of this subject, that if the kingdom of heaven is the theme of the per, and the purpose of the parables, maybe we should know a little bit about the kingdom of heaven. What is it that he's talking about when he uses that phrase? Some questions to, to ask ourselves might be like, what is the kingdom of heaven and, and, and how can we learn more about it? And in doing that, one thing that a lot of people notice and a lot of people start to ask questions about very quickly is, what's the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Both of these phrases are used throughout the New Testament prominently in the, in the Gospels, and they're both used by Jesus. Why does He use two different phrases? What's going on there? And so maybe the question we'd ask is, is there a difference between these two phrases? When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, and then He talks about the kingdom of God, is He talking about two different things? Or, or what are we to do with that? Why are we to, what are we to do with these expressions? Some do try to make a distinction. Some say yes. There is a difference. In fact, one scholar wrote that the difference is the kingdom of God refers to a universal sense of God's reign, including angels, the church, and all people belonging to God, past, present, and future, in an eternal reign of heaven. While the kingdom of heaven differs from that because it refers only to the messianic or Davidic establishment of His kingdom on earth. That's a very scholarly way of saying the kingdom of God refers to heaven and eternal life, and the kingdom of heaven refers to the church. Now, there's a few things that I think we need to consider if we're going to hold to a view like that. Because if we take a quick comparison of the Gospels, we find that oftentimes 
Those phrases were used in the same exact uh, passages. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In a parallel passage, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, this is Mark's account of what Jesus was saying in this exact same setting. He says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Exact same setting, exact same thing going on, and yet Matthew says kingdom of heaven, Mark says kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, we mentioned that just a second ago, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew records Jesus saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, in Luke's recording of the Sermon on the Mount, says that He began to say to them, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So again, He used the two different phrases, but they're used to, at the same time and in the same setting. And the one I really want us to think about though this morning is Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. You might, already, you might still have your Bibles opened up there. And there He says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid three pecks of flour or hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. And in the, in the very same version of this, then parallel account, Luke is recording this exact same conversation. It says, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Now, if we remember that scholarly view, remember that scholarly view that we said before says, yes, there's a difference. That scholarly view says the kingdom of heaven refers to the church. Well, I don't think we have a problem with that. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour. In this account, what Jesus is saying is the church is going to be like leaven hidden in the world. The, the, the three pecks of flour would be the world in this illustration. And the, the, in, uh, the inference is in that, that leaven changes flour. If you have, you know, the, the Jews would make their bread and they would take their little ball of flour and they'd set it aside and they'd have a little bit of leaven. We might just call it yeast. It wasn't exactly the same thing, but they'd take that little tiny pinch of yeast, leaven, they'd stick it in their flour and they would knead that and it would eventually turn the whole thing leavened or, or yeasted, however you want to say that. And so what Jesus was saying here is the kingdom of heaven Remember, remember our scholarly view, the church is like that leaven. When it's hidden in the world, it should influence the world. Well, I think we can all agree with that. That's, yeah, that makes sense. But now let's see where it kind of starts to fall apart. The kingdom of God is that reign in heaven eternal. The reign of all the saints, the reign of, of, of all of those past, present, and future living with God eternally. How is that going to be hidden in the world? In this view, the, the, what they're saying is that rain in heaven is going to influence the world when it is hidden in it. But at that point, the world is destroyed. There is no more world. This is after the judgment. And so we see that it starts to fall apart, this view that there is a difference. What I think we should see in that is there is no difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. They are used, and they are used to describe the exact same thing, but that begs the question then, why did they use different expressions? Why did they not just say kingdom of heaven over and over and over and over again? That would be a whole lot easier to make this, this job so much easier of understanding these Scriptures. Well, the reason is because they were written by different authors. They were written to different people. And they were written for different purposes. We must understand that. Book of Matthew. Matthew chose to use the phrase 
kingdom of heaven almost exclusively. That's why we saw it over and over again, those comparisons. Matthew constantly used the kingdom of heaven. And there's a reason, I believe there's a reason why for that. The book of Matthew is a book written by a Jew. Matthew was a Jewish man, written to a Jewish audience about a Jewish Savior, Jesus Christ. So he spoke to the Jews in the way that the Jews spoke. Whenever they understood the word kingdom, number one, as he spoke to them about that, they would see something very specific in that. That's going to be something that we're going to come back to in a moment as we understand what that is. But whenever they heard the word kingdom, they think of something very specific. And a lot of the Jews at this time, they're looking for a physical kingdom. But whenever you say kingdom of heaven, they knew what heaven was. Heaven's not a mystery to the Jews. They know the idea of heaven. They know that there is a spiritual place where God resides and God is a spirit and they want to live with God eternally. And so when you see the kingdom of heaven in the eyes of the Jews, they immediately should be able to take that and go, oh, we're not talking about something on earth. We're talking about something else. So there's one reason why, why Matthew might have said and used exclusively kingdom of heaven. The other reason that he most likely didn't say kingdom of God is because the Jews didn't use that word. If you look through the Scriptures, the Jews, they created all sorts of ways to speak about our Heavenly Father without without approaching upon His name in any sort of way. They would create names like Yahweh. Or the, sometimes it's just that, uh, that, that kind of symbol, that Y-W-H-W, had no pronunciation. Or Jehovah, Adonai. All of these different terminology that they created were ways to speak about God without using His actual name because they reverenced God at that level. They were afraid of ever using His name in some way that might be vain, blasphemy. And so they would create these ways to say His name. Uh, that, that way they, they thought in their minds we won't be able to do that. And so there's a very good reason why Matthew probably didn't say the kingdom of God because the Jews probably wouldn't have said that themselves. But when you look at men like Mark and, and Luke and John, men who were not primarily writing to Jewish audiences. You know, so out of both Mark and Luke, these are, are Gentile men. These aren't Jewish men. These are men that are, that are bringing a message from a different standpoint. They don't come from a Jewish background. They come from a different standpoint and they're speaking to a Gentile population. Telling them about this Savior that arisen now of the Jews. So they're going to speak differently. They're not going to have a lot of this Jewish tradition in their language. So there's a reason why we have different expressions used here. But whenever we see the kingdom of heaven and we see the kingdom of God, I don't think that we should try to, to distinguish between the two. We should read them as being one and the same. So then, what is the kingdom of heaven? When we get into that idea, what is... If we understand now that he's talking about the kingdom of heaven in these parables, and he says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and he's talking about the same things... What's he talking about? Well, to understand that, we have to know that there's four concepts that fall into this word kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. One is that it's speaking of the reign of God. It's also talking about the spiritual nature of the kingdom. The Lord's church is going to play a part in this. And the future of this kingdom is going to play a part of this as well. So it's important for us to remember these four concepts that are woven together throughout these parables. Let's look at them one at a time. The reign of God... Is, is, is one thing, as I said, the, the, the Jews, they understood this word kingdom a little bit differently than we do. And I think of kingdom, I think, I think of castles. 
When I think of kingdom, I think of, I don't know, I think of Lord of the Rings. I think of these great battles between these nations coming together. I think of this physical uh, view of a kingdom, but the Jews didn't think that way. Kingdom was an abstract term for them. When they thought of kingdom, they thought of things such as dominion, reign, the dominion of David, anywhere that, that was within the bounds of, of his kingdom. It wasn't just a, a wall that was put around to keep other people out and keep his people in. It was where he had power. It was where he had control. And so dominion changed oftentimes. You might have an area that you had control of that you no longer have control. It's not in your kingdom anymore. But it might still be geographically in the land that you own. So when they heard that word kingdom, they thought of that idea of dominion or of power or reign. And this is possibly the way Jesus uses it in Luke chapter 17. In verse 21, He says, Nor will they say, see here, see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. He's talking about that idea, that abstract view of a kingdom that doesn't have a physical location. He's talking about a, a kingdom that has power or has reign in the hearts of men. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, it is used this way by Jesus when He says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. In the, what was oftentimes called the Lord's Prayer. He's talking about the reign of God, the, the power, the dominion of God coming into the world. And this, this idea of the reign or the dominion of God is illustrated or manifest in this idea of the kingdom, but in one sense, it's always been there. In Psalm 47, verse 2, says the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great King over all the earth. In one sense, God created everything. He already has dominion and power over it. But in another sense, we see that, that reign and that dominion being more, more perfectly embodied not just in His creation, but in the, in the coming of Christ. Um, in, in Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, Daniel speaks and foretells about this, this coming of Christ some 500 years before He comes and speaks about it in this way. But it's John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 who in the days leading up to it says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's talking about that reign and power of God as manifested in Christ Jesus. It's here. It's right on the cusp. And of course, we remember what we read in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus, He would come into the world preaching, not it's at hand, but the kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is here. And so over and over again, we see that this, this one, one concept of the kingdom of heaven that we must keep in our minds if we're going to understand the parables, if we're going to, to study from them and learn from them, is that it's talking about the power and the reign of God in the, in the hearts of men. Another thing we need to understand is that it is spiritual in nature. The kingdom or the reign of God would not be found in a physical form. Whenever Jesus is brought before Pilate, and Pilate is speaking to him as if he's trying to set himself up as some great political, geopolitical figure, a king, and he, uh, when, when Jesus responds to him, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Jesus was making it very clear in no certain terms. The kingdom of God is going to be spiritual. It's not going to be a physical kingdom that is set up, as, kind of, as I mentioned before, that idea of castles and, and, and land uh, and acreage that is owned. And that's a problem for the Jews. 
The Jews are looking for that. The Jews were expecting that. Where is that, that kingdom going to, be, to, to happen? It's got to, to, to fill the land of Israel. The city of David has to be owned. And, and so there was a problem that, that they had to deal with because Jesus comes saying, no, that's not, that's not my kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. It's not just a problem for the Jews. That's a problem for many who proclaim Christianity, who are still looking for a physical kingdom. The premillennialistic view of the rapture that says there's going to be a time where God comes back, Christ comes back to the world for a thousand year reign and sets up His physical kingdom on the earth. Jesus said, no, my kingdom is not physical. My kingdom is spiritual. And Paul continues that thought in Romans 14, verse 17. He says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. He's saying the same thing. The kingdom of God is not these physical things. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are abstract thoughts that only exist in spirit. You can't hold righteousness. You can't hold peace. You can't hold joy in your hand. He was saying these aren't physical things. The kingdom of God is not a physical place. It is a spiritual realm. And yet, it is manifested in the Lord's church. It's very important for us to see that. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is the Lord's church then? This can help to to kind of solve some of these problems. If it's not a physical place, how can it be manifested in a brick and mortar building? Well, the church is obviously not a brick and mortar building. What is the church? The church is a community of souls, spirits. It's a gathering of of believers. Again, that that abstract uh, view that we see strung throughout the Bible. It's anywhere that that a community of believers reside where God is sovereign in their hearts. That idea of being sovereign means that He is King. And thus we again see how the church can be referred to as the Kingdom of God. It's the place where souls gather together as a family that give, give authority to the Father as the King of His Kingdom. He is the one that they are following. He is the one that is leading them. And in that way, we see then the church and the kingdom used kind of in interchangeable words. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, a passage we oftentimes think about, Jesus says to Peter, He says, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower. Peter has just answered that question. Jesus said, Who do you say I am? He says, You are Jesus, the Son of of God. And it's upon that confession, again, abstract. He's not talking about a physical rock that he's building his church. It's upon the confession of Peter, recognition that Jesus is the Son of God, that I will build this kingdom, this church. But notice how he talks about it. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That's battle language that we have to see in Scripture. Sometimes we read Scriptures, and when we read through the New Testament, we just say, oh, that that God of the New Testament, He's just this big fluffy God of, of love and good feelings. There is battle language in the New Testament. There is language where God is telling us, get your armor, get your weapons, be ready to fight, because Satan, he's not a little puppy dog. He's a roaring lion trying to get your soul. There's battle language, and this is some of that language we see. The gates of Hades will not overpower my kingdom. They will not come against my kingdom and defeat it. My church. And so we see in that that there is this terminology that links what, what Jesus was creating. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, what He was going to create upon that confession and what He was going to grow as this kingdom. And Paul again picks up and runs with that. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul speaks to the Colossians saying... He rescued us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Again, He's talking about the church there. Being brought into the church by God. Not by the righteous deeds that we have done, but by God, we are brought into His church, into His kingdom. And so once again, we see that this this spiritual kingdom is manifested in the church today. While that might be the present form of it, we also need to remember there is a future form of it as well. And that future form of the kingdom was spoken of by Jesus in Matthew 25. When He said the uh, the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He says there is something that has been prepared. A kingdom that has been prepared that God has, has been preparing since the beginning of time as we understand it, that doesn't mean anything to God, that phrase, but as we understand it, He has been preparing a kingdom for those who will be blessed by Him. And again, Paul speaks similarly in 1 Corinthians 15.50, I say this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Again, he can't be talking about the church. Flesh and blood inherit the church today. He again is talking about that future aspect of this spiritual realm. So we must see these, these four uh, we, we must see these, these four concepts whenever he speaks about the kingdom of heaven, that he's speaking about the reign of God, spiritual in nature, the Lord's church presently and in the future. So in summary, we might try to just kind of roll this all up in, a, in an easier to digest form. When he speaks of the kingdom of heaven in the present form, the kingdom of heaven is anywhere the sovereignty of God is accepted. Anywhere God is accepted as the King of the kingdom, and that means His will is done the way that He said to do it. It is a spiritual kingdom manifested today in the Lord's church, and it has its start on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now this afternoon, I encourage you to come back this afternoon because we're going to talk about how this, this got corrupted. It wasn't prevailed against. But over the years, this got corrupted. And what happened was there was an offshoot from God's kingdom. God's church that He created. And that offshoot is heartbreaking. Because it led many people into what God told us would happen into apostasy. Into turning away from His truth. Into turning away and having their ears tickled by other things. But in the present form, God said, this is My kingdom. The place where I am accepted as the King. The place where I am followed and I am loved and that is manifested in His church. But in the future sense, it will be culminated. It will be brought to its peak of existence at the coming of the Lord. And in the new heavens and the new earth, Peter and John both speak about that. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, Peter speaks about these new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells in which the tabernacle of God is with men. That's what John says, Revelation 21, verse 3. The tabernacle of God is with men where they will dwell amongst Him and He will be their God and they will be His people. All of this is the culmination of the church. It's leading to that kingdom in heaven. And it will be experienced again by all those who accept the sovereignty of God and submit to His will. So as we, as we wrap this up, when we get into the parables of Jesus, what we find, we find are references to a kingdom that has a present form and has a future form. And hopefully, in this effort to define that kingdom, 
It can help us to learn what Jesus is saying when He says the kingdom of heaven is like. When He's taking a people that have, that have no idea of the, some of these concepts, but He's saying here's some concepts that you understand. And let me tell you how the kingdom of heaven, whether it possibly be the church, or whether it be the spiritual nature, or whether it be the king of the kingdom, how they relate to these concepts that you understand. And He's helping them to understand these mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Mysteries that we can know today through studying His Word. One principle. Turn your Bibles over to John chapter 3. And we'll wrap up here. One principle that is brought up in the kingdom of heaven is the principle of entering into it. And this was a mystery to the man Nicodemus. Nicodemus was, was confused about how to enter into the kingdom. And, and Jesus is speaking to him. And in verse 3, Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus responds to him. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. How can he be born? Can he be born again? Nicodemus says, this is a mystery to me. Jesus says, you want to see the kingdom of God? You must be born again. Nicodemus says, how on earth do you do that? And his response to him in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. When we look through at who Nicodemus was, we learn something fascinating that I think is applicable to every one of us today. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was someone who believed in God. Nicodemus was someone who knew God's laws. He was trying to follow God's laws to the best of his abilities. What we would say about Nicodemus is he was a good person. That's what the world looks to ourselves. They say, we are good people. I'm a good citizen. I'm a good friend. I'm a good son. I'm a good father. I'm, I'm, I am a good person. And yet this good person, Nicodemus, who ruled the Jews, who was a Pharisee, Jesus said, you need a do-over. You need to be born again. A new start. That's exactly what Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He's not preaching something new to the people. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 is speaking to people who knew who God was, who believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They believed it because they had killed Him and now they were pricked at the heart. They were destroyed. What can we possibly do to be forgiven of this? Peter says to them, you need a new start. What's that look like? It looks like repentance. It means the way that you were walking before, you have to turn from that. You can't continue killing the Son of God. Disrespecting the Son of God the way you have been. You have to turn to follow the Son of God. And you need to be baptized, washed, immersed for the forgiveness of sins. That's the same thing that Paul told Titus. In Titus chapter 3, in verse 5, he speaks to them, him there about the washing of, and the regeneration and the spirit of renewal. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. Washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. Paul is telling Titus the same things that Jesus told Nicodemus. You've got to be born again to be saved. To be saved, it's not you can do all the righteous things in the world, but you have to be born again of the water and the Spirit. The washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Spirit through the forgiveness of our sins. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, 
Lord, the kingdom of heaven, whatever you want to call it. I like to just call it today the Lord's church. If you want to be a part of his body, that's what we must do. We must be born again. Just a moment, we're going to open our songbooks. Number 415, to Christ be true. The first words of every verse of that. To Christ be loyal and be true. You know who you're loyal to? You're loyal to the ones in authority. The song is all about Christ being set as a king in our lives. And if you want Christ to be your king, that is to say you're in His kingdom, then we must be washed through, the, through, the, through baptism, having our sins washed away, allowing the Spirit into our lives. That comes through studying His Word. For learning about who this King is and how do we submit and follow to Him. If you would like to do that this morning, we would like to help with that. If you'd like to study about that more, I would like to study with you. Whatever we can do to assist, please let it be known. Come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.